0: very nicely done. Thank you. Fun to hear that. Yeah, fun to get to. It's like driving fast, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, that was good. No one got hurt, so it's it's all good. All right. Bit of a crazy week, so give me a second and I'll try to get organized here. I hope you will, uh, in fact, uh, come this evening at 5.30 to the concert of Jacqueline and Shelby Hughes. We got to hear them sing at first service. You didn't get to hear that, but we did that we're here at first service. And it's definitely worth your time. It was beautiful music. And uh, if, uh, if you're in need of any kind of a good activity, this is exactly would fit what you need. So I hope you'll be here this evening for that. There might be a little more room around you today. You might have noticed a few less children up here. Spring break is underway. Yeah, spring break for Fleece and for FLA got going. So uh, that explains a little bit why there's not quite so many kids here today. But uh, yeah, good to have that time of year come around. Um, just to give you details and, and information about Nathan... Uh, I did mention here, I think at third service last week, that uh, he had been having issues with his uh, defibrillator. It kept alarming. And that was alarming, if you know what I mean by that. And so uh, they went and they checked it out and there was a lot of noise on one of the leads and they thought maybe there was a bad connection. So uh, so they determined they better go in there and check it out so that it didn't shock him when he didn't actually need a shock. He was very much against that happening. So, uh, so he went in, and they, they managed to work him in very quickly, and he had his procedure uh, yesterday. And they went in and took a look at it, and indeed the lead was badly frayed, so it needed to be changed out. In the process of that, they decided that they would move the device to another spot on the other side because they were having trouble getting the lead back in. I don't know all the details. but uh, so, so now he's got matching scars, so that's pretty au- awesome, I think. Don't you think it's better to be balanced if you're going to have scars? So uh, they got to move to the other side yesterday, and uh, surgery went real well. And just, you know, it's amazing to... Uh, t- it's such a blessing to, to have a place like Florida Hospital around... Uh, to be a part of and to have people on the team working with him that are part of our church. And, you know, that's so neat. Uh, like Jessica Pena. Well, maybe you don't know her, but she was one of the ones involved. She was the, I practice this word. I don't think I can say it though. Nurse anesthetist. Yeah, I got it. All right. She was she was involved and, and Jackie Draper kind of helped put a whole team together. And and then uh, Ron and Speranza Passos came and spent time with us. That was wonderful. And Rob Fulbright stopped by and Rob Deiniger stopped by and Andreas Aldebar and then all the different people texting. You know, it's, it's such a blessing and I appreciate uh, everybody's concern for Nathan. He's doing great. And in fact, when this is over, we're all going to go down there and bring him home. So he'll be home and and he's thrilled about that because it's spring break and he didn't want to have surgery during spring break. So he got it done on Friday, <laughs> rested on the Sabbath, <laughs> and then got up and got back to things. So there you go. So he's excited and we're glad that it went well. Um, all right, next Sabbath, March 14, will be the beginning of our spring series. Our spring series is called Better Together. Now, if you'll recall, for the last several years during the spring series, we encourage you as a part of that series to participate in small groups during that time. And what we do, the the theme is Better Together, and what we're going to be doing this year is stories from the Bible about relationships. Relationships different stories between different people in the Bible and the different kind of relationships that they engaged in in those stories. And the idea here is this idea of engaging, that we would be engaged with each other. Key to that is relationship between each other. So we're going to reflect on relationships and what the Bible teaches us and the different kinds of relationships we can have with each other in the church to, to build each other up and, and do good things. But one key to that is for us to participate and be involved during the week in small groups. Now, our format will be the same as it was every year. I'll do a message next Sabbath that will kick the series off and be an explanation of sorts. And then the small groups will begin after that service and go through the next, go go that week. So what you will study after next Sabbath, the 14th, will be the topic that I'll be talking about on the 21st. And each week, the study you do at home, you'll do before we talk about the topic at church. So you will have already thought about those texts and and, uh, formulated your thinking. We'll start making these studies available next week, and we'll definitely have them here next Sabbath in forms that you can take with you. Now, we've made it one of our goals this year, put together with the staff and the, the lay leadership of this church. We believe that That these relationships that form in small groups and the growth that we experience in them is key to the well-being and future of the church. And so we've set for ourselves, and then we, all of us, have set this goal for ourselves, that 25% of the folks who are regularly attending at church would, for some period of time during this year, engage in a small group. We can achieve that goal in the next two months, And uh, I hope everybody will participate in that and will more than achieve that, not just because we want to check off some goal on a list, but because this will make a difference. This will cause more people to feel a part of the whole community and a part of the presence and as though they have people to to love and care about and that they can share their prayer requests with and and just build us all up. So I hope you will be a part of that and we'll continue to give you... Uh, more information and direction. It's not hard to do. All you have to do is be a person and have a place where you can gather with people. If, if those two things are possible, and I think they are for everybody, then you can do this. And the studies are easy enough and you just work through and you just talk. So we'll, we'll mention more details on that next week, but that's coming up. All right. I think that's all the extra things. Yes. All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now as we turn to your word, I pray that your spirit will be with us, that you will open our minds, that we will hear, you will open our hearts, that we will sense your convicting voice, and then you will enable us to act. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to kind of go to an unusual place today, maybe a, a story from the Bible that that maybe you've heard but maybe not thought about as we're going to deal with it today. We're going to do something a little different here. And And I guess I'll just sort of apologize beforehand. There's some hard things about this story. There's some elements about this story that's very uncomfortable to our sensibility of reality in our day. And I'll try to fix that a little bit if I can, but I'll just tell you up front, there's some stuff in the Bible you just can't fix. You just read it, and you just realize... I don't understand everything. So here we go. We're going to go to Numbers chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31. And it begins this way, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. After that, you will be gathered to your people. All right. First of all, this phrase gathered to your people. God is saying this to Moses. What that means is you're going to die. Now, if you will remember the story, what's happening here at this point in the story is Israel's come out of Egypt and they they went and got the 10 commandments and they were on their way to the promised land, but then you remember the whole story about the spies and how that didn't work out and they had to turn back from the land and spend 40 years in the wilderness. And because of the unfaithfulness, all of that generation who saw God's work in Egypt would would die in in the wilderness except for two, for Caleb and Joshua. Now, when you first hear that, you just assume, well, of course, God also means that Moses will make it and Aaron will make it. Well, as it turns out, no. Because Moses and Aaron will have their moment of unfaithfulness with God when God has asked them to speak to the stone for the water to come, but Moses, in his anger, strikes the stone. And it is in that context, then, that God says, you also will remain on this side. Aaron dies as well. And so now we're getting right down to near the end, and the people are about to go into the land. Now, if you remember the story of this time when they come to the land, first they come to the land of Edom. And they say to the Edomites, let us go through your land and we won't touch anything, but let us go through. And the Edomites say, no, no way, we're letting you through the land. But God has mercy on the Edomites because the Edomites are the descendants of Esau, the brother of Jacob. And God has mercy on them because of that family connection. And, and so he sends his people around and they go around to the land of the Moabites and the Midianites. And the Moabites get really nervous. And they call for a man by the name of Balaam. Do you remember Balaam? Balaam was the man who had the donkey that was smarter than him. And he sets out on his trip, and he he goes to curse the people, but God will not give him the words to curse. Now, it's not recorded right in that context, but that happens a little bit just before this. It's not recorded in that context, but we find out later on that, in fact, Balaam did tell the people how they could undermine Israel. He could not stand and curse them in a way that the Moabite army could go out and defeat them, but he did tell them their weakness. And he said, if you can get them to turn against their God, then they can be beaten. And so it is in the context of this that as they're camped, the Bible says, some of the women of the Midianites went into the camps of Israel and invited the men to come and worship at their shrines. And this men more than worship as we might imagine the word There were fertility rites and many of the men of israel got caught up in this and it turns into a plague in the camp and many in israel die and so understand as we read these words the midianites have proven themselves the enemies of israel they have sought to turn the people against god and sought to destroy them When you understand that context, maybe it will help you somewhat with the story because it says, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. We go on with this story, verse 3. So Moses said to the people, Arm some of your men to go to war against the Midianites so that they may carry out the Lord's vengeance on them. Send into battle a thousand men from each of the tribes of Israel. So 12,000 men armed for battle, 1,000 from each tribe, were supplied from the clans of Israel. Moses sent them into battle, 1,000 from each tribe, along with Phinehas, son of Eliezer, the priest, who took with him articles from the sanctuary and the trumpets for signaling. So here's how they decided to do it. They took 1,000 from each of the tribes, so that's 12,000 men in the army, and they marched out, and with God's blessing, they totally annihilated the Midianites. Now, the story's a little rough, and I'm not going to read you all the rough details of the story that goes on between verses 6 and 26. If you read that, that's your own responsibility. But it's a rough story, and it's a rough time, and there's difficult things happening in this story. But I want to move ahead here to verse 25 and pick up this story again, because now now we're getting to what I want to talk about in this story. And it goes like this, verse 25. The Lord said to Moses, you and Eliezer the priest and the family heads of the community are to count all the people and the animals that were captured. All right, here's what's happened. They've defeated the Midianites, utterly defeated the Midianites. And by doing so, have suddenly found themselves in possession of everything that used to belong to the Midianites. And that's a lot of stuff. So now they have all of this stuff that they have captured. So let's keep reading. Verse 27. Divide the spoils equally between the soldiers who took part in the battle and the rest of the community. From the soldiers who fought in the battle, set apart as tribute for the Lord one out of every 500, whether people, cattle, donkeys, or sheep. Take this tribute from their half share and give it to Eliezer the priest as the Lord's part. From the Israelites' half, select one out of every 50, whether people, cattle, donkeys, sheep, or other animals. Give them to the Levites who are responsible for the care of the Lord's tabernacle. So Moses and Eliezer the priest did as the Lord commanded Moses. All right, now I want you to understand what's taking place here. 12,000 have gone out and fought, and they have captured an incredible amount of possessions. And they've brought them back... And God has said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to divide everything in half. I want half of it to go to the 12,000 who went and fought because they should be rewarded for their service. But then I want the other half to go to everybody else in the community of Israel. And then, out of this portion that went to the soldiers that fought i want you to take one out of every 500 and give it to the priests as an offering to god and then out of the portion that went to the people of israel i want you to take one out of 50 and give it to the levites who serve to keep the religious life of the community going so here's how it goes He divides half the spoils for the 12,000 and then half for the rest, which if these numbers are accurate, the way they read in the Bible was as many potentially as 600,000. So you can see half for 12 means that they as individuals got a lot more than the individuals in the larger community, correct? Yet they didn't keep it all. They gave half of it away. And then out of the portion of the soldiers, a small portion was given to the priests, and out of the portion of the people, a portion was given to sustain the Levites. All right, so how did it break down? Well, here's how it breaks down. And there's a part here you're going to be uncomfortable with. I'll try to help you a little if I can, but I don't know if it'll be enough. But here we go. Verse 32. The plunder remaining from the spoils that the soldiers soldiers took was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 women who had never slept with a man. All right. Ah, Now we're uncomfortable, right? Okay. I don't think I can make it pretty for you, but I'll do my best here. the rest of the people of the land were not alive anymore. And these were younger girls. As ugly as this seems to us, this notion, realize the other option is that they all starve to death and die. And realize when we read the Bible, we're not always reading best case scenarios. We're reading life as it really is sometimes. So Wrestle with that however you need to, but that's how the story is. Let's go on. Verse 36. The half share of those who fought in the battle was 337,500 sheep, of which the tribute for the Lord was 675. So, To these 12,000, they divided between them 337,500 sheep, and then they took one out of every 500 and gave it to the priests, which meant to the priests was 675. Then 36,000 cattle, of which the tribute for the Lord was 72. 30,500 donkeys, of which the tribute to the Lord was 61. 16,000 people, of whom the tribute for the Lord was 32. Moses gave the tribute to Eliezer, the priest, as the Lord's part, as the Lord commanded Moses. The half belonging to the Israelites, which Moses set apart from that of the fighting men, the community's half was, again, the same, 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 people. From the Israelites half, Moses selected one out of every 50 people and animals as the Lord commanded him and gave them to the Levites who were responsible for the care of the Lord's tabernacle. So if you wanted to do the math accurately, just go back through the numbers that were given to the priests and multiply it by 10 and you'll have the number that was given to the Levites. All right, that's the math of this whole thing. Now, What lessons might we be able to take from how God acted in this case? Well, the first one, I think, is this. The Lord takes an active interest in how we handle possessions. You see, they'd gone out and fought, and by fighting had gained control of a great deal of possessions that they didn't have before. Now, they could have, as soldiers, brought it all back, but if the, if the Lord had not given them some means by which to determine what to do with it, what do you think would have happened? What happens to people when one group has a whole lot and another group has nothing? We fight, don't we? So the notion of how are we going to work together, how are we going to share possessions, how is this going to work, makes a difference. And it is a relevant point in this story, and the Lord addresses it, RIGHT IN THE TEXT OF THE STORY ITSELF. BUT IT'S ALSO A RELEVANT POINT TO US IN OUR TIME. HERE'S ANOTHER LESSON WE CAN LEARN. THOSE WHO DO THE WORK DESERVE THE GREATER REWARD. WE SEE THIS SUSTAINED IN THE STORY. AND DON'T WE AGREE THAT THOSE WHO HAVE WORKED THE HARDEST OUGHT TO RECEIVE A GREATER REWARD THAN THOSE WHO DIDN'T DO MUCH AT ALL? I THINK WE AGREE ON THAT. WE WOULD CALL THAT FAIR, RIGHT? So it's fair that half portion goes to only the 12,000 because they literally did the work and risked their lives here. So that's a point. But then we also learn this lesson. Despite that reality that those who work hardest should in fact get the most from their work, yet God intends that abundance of blessing shouldn't just positively impact one group, it should impact everybody. Because the Lord has enabled them to win this victory, he doesn't just want the spoils to go to them. He wants the whole community to be blessed by the victory. A fourth lesson. A portion of the spoils need to be returned to the Lord by way of a gift that goes specifically to sustain those who minister before the Lord. The Lord made that provision out of what the soldiers got as their portion, a portion to sustain those who minister before the Lord. And then a fifth, a portion is also to go to sustain the overall religious life of the community. So in this case, God declared that out of the portion of the people, some should go to sustain the Levites who were key to the religious life of the whole community so this is how God laid out the specific terms in this particular instance THE SPECIFICS ARE NOT AS IMPORTANT, I THINK, AS THE BIG-PICTURE UNDERSTANDING HERE THAT GOD CARES ABOUT POSSESSIONS, THAT THOSE WHO WORK HARD SHOULD BENEFIT THE MOST, THOSE INVOLVED SHOULD STILL BENEFIT SOME, THOSE WHO MINISTER BEFORE THE LORD SHOULD BE CARED FOR, AND THE WELL-BEING OF THE RELIGIOUS COMMUNITY SHOULD BE SUSTAINED. THOSE ARE THE CLEAR POINTS IN THE STORY. BUT THEN SOMETHING THAT TO ME SEEMS PRACTICALLY UNBELIEVABLE HAPPENS. And maybe that just shows how my mind works in our day. But something unexpected happens. We go to verse 48. So far they've done everything God commanded. Now watch what happens here. Verse 48. Then the officers who were over the units of the army, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, went to Moses and said to him, Your servants have counted the soldiers under our command, and not one is missing. That's pretty unlikely, isn't it? You got to kind of think that wasn't an accident. Verse 50 So we have brought as an offering to the Lord the gold articles each of us acquired armlets, bracelets, signet rings, earrings, and necklaces to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. Moses and Eliezer, the priests, accepted from them the gold, all the crafted articles, all the gold from the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that Moses and Eliezer presented as a gift to the Lord weighed 16,750 shekels or probably somewhere around 420 pounds, which today would be worth around $5 million. Each soldier had taken plunder for himself Moses and Eliezer, the priest, accepted the gold from the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds and brought it into the tent of meeting as a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord. They were so amazed at the graciousness of God that they voluntarily gave in thanks. I think maybe this is sometimes where we're living in our day. We've we've lost sight of something. There used to be a time, and I, I think this even went before my time, but there used to be a time where, in the, in the Adventist Church, some of you may remember this, that you used to give what was called a birthday thank offering. Did you ever hear that? Yeah. The whole notion of this was instead of when your birthday comes, you just kind of wait around for everybody to give you stuff. You gave a thank offering to the Lord for living another year. You're overwhelmed by the Lord's graciousness to the point that you said, Lord, I present this offering to you for my life. Thank you for another year. Uh, we kind of used to do it, I think, when I was in uh, children's Sabbath school. They had, did you ever see the little plastic lighthouse? Did you see that? And when you had a birthday, they'd sing, who's had a birthday or something like that. And then you'd go up and you'd put the pennies in one at a time. And every time you put a penny in, the light would come on and all the kids would count how old you were. Yeah, I remember that. That was the same kind of idea. What's taking place here is remarkable. God is not asking them for this gift. They are giving this gift valued at $5 million just because they're thankful to the Lord. There's implications here, implications to all of this. Let's see if we can understand them. Well, I think the first implication is this. God wants us to directly prosper from our labors, and God will bless us. And it is a rule that I believe God has established that if we work hard, we ought to be rewarded for that work and not lose it to someone else who didn't work. However, there is a second implication. God does expect us to be rewarded for our hard work, but number two, God also expects that we will invest our increase, at least to some degree, in building up our community. The 12,000 went out and worked hard and won the battle and got all the stuff, but God asked them to give half of it away to the rest of the people. They were enriched, but so was the community. A third implication, God directs that those who serve before him SHOULD SHARE IN THE PROSPERITY OF THE PEOPLE. THAT'S SET UP ALL KINDS OF DIFFERENT WAYS, BUT I don't, I'M NOT TALKING ABOUT SPECIFICS AS MUCH AS I WANT YOU TO UNDERSTAND THAT NOTION THAT GOD HAS DIRECTED FROM ALL THE WAY BACK TO BIBLE TIMES TO OUR DAY THAT THE PROSPERITY OF THE COMMUNITY SHOULD BE SHARED WITH THOSE WHO MINISTER. NUMBER FOUR, GOD DIRECTS THAT ALL THE PEOPLE will contribute to sustain the life of the community, the whole of it. You'll remember in this particular story, the community was asked to contribute to the Levites who sustained the religious life. Everyone is expected to participate. And then the fifth implication, when you know that you have been blessed overabundantly, it ought to have the effect of making you more generous. When they came home and had all their gold stuff and they were happy to have it, but then they realized, you mean none of us died? They said, that's worth way more than this gold. And they gave it back when god has blessed over abundantly it shouldn't start filling our heads with all these things i can do that i didn't think i could do it should fill our minds with the spirit of generosity as god has been generous to me let me be generous in return now i understand there's complications this is israel and they're functional in a theocracy and they are themselves and And there's a certain boundary around them that makes a lot of sense. For us, there's a lot of complications. For example, there's two things maybe you've heard of. One is called government and the other is called taxes. You've heard of those, right? They're kind of an enforced way to make sure you participate in your community whether you want to or not. But at the same time, they're also forces that allow you to live safely in this land you live So, those are complications that don't perfectly fit the model. Then there's another thing that sometimes we call religious bureaucracy. And what it is, is how we organize ourselves. And sometimes we organize ourselves brilliantly, and sometimes not so brilliantly. And sometimes what we want to have happens, happens, sometimes it doesn't. But that's not the point. Complications do not excuse us from responsibility. There's two concepts that I want us to take away from all of this. The first one is this. In God's plan, all are expected to participate in the act of giving. And here's the thing. To participate in giving should not be painful It should actually be a source of righteous pride. And I don't use that pride word wrong. I use it right. We ought to feel good about being blessed sufficiently to give. And to have that experience of giving away what I could have held on to for myself ought to feel good. When I contribute for the good of others, it ought to feel good. Even if, if my contribution is huge or my contribution is like that of the widow who had but two coins. It ought to feel good. And if it doesn't feel good, there's something wrong. You're either missing the point or your heart is not in the right place. Here's the second concept, and it's in the form of a question. We really do need to ask ourselves, how much is enough? And this is really deadly serious to us because we live in a consumer culture, and the consumer culture is driven by the fact that the expectation is someone can always make me want something more. And if they can just make me want something more, then, then I'll buy that something more. And then that, that'll produce more revenue over here. And then that'll make more of this and more of this. And the whole thing gets into this rapidly spinning reality. It's not a peaceful life to never be satisfied. Here we are living at standards of living across the board, so far above what the world has ever known. Yet most of us are dissatisfied most of the time. This is the penalty of our culture. This is the penalty of not being able to answer the question, how much is enough? To be blessed beyond reason ought to result in gifts of thankfulness not additional selfish plans. But that is so countercultural, it's hard to even wrap your mind around. But I will tell you this about some people who are a part of this congregation. There are people in this congregation who have been blessed abundantly who get this and who give abundantly. Some know this as literally and concretely as the literal concrete steps that they may very well have walked up this very morning because those steps went in because of their abundant generosity. There are people in this church who do things and who give and who make a difference in all of our lives and you don't even know they did it. And that causes a lot of satisfaction to know that you passed on God's blessing and now others are blessed for what you did. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under any compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, I understand to be generous doesn't just mean you're giving things to the church. There's way more to it than that. Generosity includes your family, being generous with your family. Generosity includes people around you. Generosity includes the community, investing in things that make a difference in the community. And Generosity includes the world to give in ways that blesses the world. Yes, I understand that, but I also know and, and, and would just say, neither are you free to neglect the faith community in your generosity. Because when you are generous with the people of the faith, you become a source of godly praise in others. Listen to these words. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else and in their prayers for you that's a nice thought isn't it that you would be generous to the point that people would lift you before the lord And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God has a vested interest in seeing that we have possessions but also an interest in what we do with them. He would have those who work hard be blessed. He would also have the whole community blessed by the hard work. He would have those that minister be blessed by the surplus, and he would have the whole community build up, built up by everyone that's a part of it. And he will sometimes bless bless us so overabundantly that we will find occasion for generosity that exceeds what we even imagined we could do. This is the opportunity that God gives us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have blessed us abundantly. Lord, I pray that all will hear this in the spirit in which I hope to speak these words, that of not one of need or even a specific call to any specific thing, but rather as an invitation to participate in a life of generosity as God has made it available. Lord, I pray that we will be generous and we will sow generously and then reap the generous harvest that you prepare. In Jesus' name, amen.